welcome to another edition of the Lakers Locker Room. I'm your co-host, Tejon Graham. Alongside me is my guy, the one, the only, Mr. Jason Little. Jason, how are you doing today, man? Fantastic. Today we got another great guest for you guys. He's a former professional basketball player, CEO of NL Fitness, and owner of Next Level Media. Please welcome to the Lakers Locker Room, Jamil Abiyad. Jamil, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing fine, thank you. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. How's everything been? You staying safe in Ottawa? Yeah, staying as safe as can be. I mean, uh, we must just leave the house only to get groceries and walk out, take a little walk, but that's about it. Anyways, let's get right into it. Um, I saw recently you had a documentary released on Amazon Prime called The Journey. Just tell us a bit about how it came together and what's it about. Oh, um, it's, well, the title pretty much uh, kind of tells you exactly what it is. It's pretty much my journey from when I was a young kid to uh, where I'm at now. Um, and the reason that I kind of put that together is um, just like anybody else. I mean, I feel strongly, and I've said this over the last couple of years, that we all have a story and everybody's story is unique. And if we can help one person or give one, you know, whether it's a kid, an adult, anybody, some sort of hope or motivation through our own stories, um, I think at some point in everybody's career and in their lives, their story should be told and heard because we all get to these destinations and uh, goals in our lives and no one knows how we got there or the difficulties that we've had to take along the way to get there. And um, I deal with a lot of kids. I deal with a lot of youth. And for me, a lot of these kids, I'm like a role model to them, you know, a teacher, a coach, and they all aspire to one day either be a professional basketball player like myself, a university player, but they see all these things on TV or hear your stories, but don't know what you had to go through. So um, for me, it was something that I decided to do just to show them that, yeah, just like you guys are going through difficulties and problems, I had to do the same thing. And your challenges are not going to be the same as mine, nor are mine going to be the same as the next person next to me. So um, I kind of put that together just to show people that you don't got to be some superhero that, you know, you woke up and you, just decided to, hey, I'm going to do this. And then you just did it, right? So um, it was more of a kind of an inspirational thing that I put out there just so people can see that no matter who you are, no matter where you're coming from, you don't have to be rich. You don't have to be, you know, some extravagant person. You can still accomplish the things that you want, but it's going to take a lot of uh, failure. Um, you're going to have to run into those walls and understand that if you want it, you're going to have to continue to push forward because no one's going to hand you anything in this life. So um, that was kind of the, the goal and the vision behind that. And, and hopefully I was able to um, inspire. Like my goal is always to inspire. If I could just help one kid per day, um, I think I'm doing my part. So uh, hopefully that happened. And uh, yeah, I got a lot of great feedback. It was pretty awesome to put it together. And just even to look back at the little things that you kind of sometimes forget that you've gone through and you're like, I did that. Like, that's crazy. So, um, no, it was, it was, it was good. It was awesome. And I mean, for it to be on Amazon prime was a pretty big, uh, thing for myself too. So, uh, I was really happy with how it turned out the feedback and, uh, hoping that it can help, help somebody down the line. So I know personally that you are a Bishop's Gator alumni and speaking with you personally, the process was not easy. It wasn't like you, or just out here as the top five in the world, and it was just everybody wanted you. You had to grind. In my eyes, you are. In my eyes, you are. 
<laughs> but would you uh could you touch base on kind of your the grind and the process from when you were in like you know quick end of elementary school high school and then the process to actually become a gator yeah so i mean i played soccer my whole life up until the age of actually well, I, I took a break came back to it but i mean i played soccer originally until the age of about 13. um soccer was natural to me as you know, I'm only like five foot seven if I eat my bro my broccoli and my breakfast in the morning. Um, no, I'm like five ten on a good day. Anyways, I'm short. Is what I'm trying to get to. And basketball, as you guys all know, is, a, is predominantly a tall person sport, right? So, um, I played soccer. It came to me naturally. I was very good. I excelled in that. Um, but uh, basketball was introduced to me at the age of thirteen. And it was something that I kind of fell in love with immediately. Um, I think more so because of the challenges that it brought to me, something that was brand new and it was hard. And I'm, I'm someone that always likes to prove people wrong. It's just how I've always been. And initially when I was getting into it and dropping soccer, everybody was like, what are you doing? Like, you're going to be a professional soccer player. Like it's a hundred percent. Like, why are you switching over? And I was like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm bored. I wanted to try something new. And in Ottawa at the time, back in like 2004, five, six, like, soccer and just sports in general are not what they are now there's so many outlets and so many opportunities now opposed to before and soccer wasn't that big in ottawa i feel if i was in a different city maybe i would have continued playing soccer because there would have been more outlets for me um, but after like u15 there was a big decline in in terms of the competitive aspect of it um so basketball for me was i picked it up it was difficult but because i'm an athlete i mean i was okay i was i was pretty fast I thought my handles were good, but they're crap. Uh, I thought I could shoot, but I couldn't shoot. Anyways, you know how it goes. But uh, it was the grade nine summer transition to grade 10 where I said I wanted basketball to be like what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like I want to play at university. So that summer, I think I spent probably on average about five to six hours every day working on my skills. In grade nine, I was probably playing like five minutes maybe a game um, where I went to grade 10 where I was a city all-star. I took the junior team to the semifinals. Um, and then every year after that, I was a city all-star. And then I was one of the top point guards in the city. So I continued to push the grind. And then coming into grade 11 or 12, because I started again so late, even though my skills were catching up, my IQ was still always far behind because I just didn't get the amount of reps that everybody had, obviously, right? And and that's something that no one can hand you or give you or, or really teach you. You need to experience that by playing. So I had to get my reps in and I know I, I spent hours every summer. I didn't, I never partied. I never went out. The first time I ever went out was like first year university, like as hard as that to believe. So, I mean, I spent my nights, I spent my days playing basketball and that's, that's something that I took very passionate and personal. And uh, it's not until grade 11, where I was like, hey, no one's still offering me anything. Like, what's going on here? Um, and back in the day, there used to be like these forums and stuff. I don't know if they have those anymore where they're sort of ranking players and uh, kind of hyping guys up and players to watch at a tournament and all this. Stuff. I think it's called like Hooptown GTA or something like that. Yeah, it's not it. Yep. And at the time, like the, when I was in high school, guys like Corey Joseph, DeVoe, Tristan Thompson, all these guys were in or in high school and guys that I play, played against when I went to OFSA. Um, so I was never, I mean, 
I was like always a player to watch, but I was never like a high profile guy because I never had the opportunity to play on these travel teams just because it was hard for my single mom with, and I have three younger brothers for her to put me in these travel teams and expense and all that other stuff. So I had to find a way to get seen. So in grade 11, I took a journalism class that taught me how to use um, electronics, like cameras and stuff like that, and how to learn how to use like Adobe Premiere. So what I started to do, I don't know why the slight bulb went off in my head at the time, but I was like, okay, I'm going to make a highlight tape. And I was able to use it for a class project, but also use it for my benefit in terms of trying to expose my own self. And this is before YouTube was big. There was no Instagram. I still have to put things on DVDs. Like, that's how old I am, even though I'm not that old. But um, I burned 30-something DVDs, um, printed out my stats, all my accomplishments, put them in envelopes, mailed them directly to each university coach, sent them an email as well to say, I sent you guys some mail, just check in for that. I went from having kind of like Ottawa U a little bit of interest. Carlton was coming to my games. I had Algonquin, St. Lawrence. So just locally stuff, right? To then having a lot more schools now contacting me either to come in for a workout. Um, so I, was, I, knew, I knew that it started to work because I was getting a, some emails coming in and stuff like that to come work out to, hey, like what's, have you committed? Like what's going on in your situation? So I kind of, was figuring things out. My best friend at the time, Jeremy, um, we want, we both wanted to go to the same school. He was someone that we, when we grew up together, we played basketball constantly. And I always tell kids, try to find one person that you can go work out with all the time. You push him, he pushes you, you know, like you don't need to always work out by yourself. So the schools that were recruiting him, were not looking at me. The schools that were looking at me, were looking at him. Bishops, he committed there. He kind of spoke to the coach. The coach told me to come up for a visit. I came there like the campus did very well my recruiting visit, all that other stuff. And he's like, listen, we want you. And I was like, sold because my best friend was going there. So I'm like, what's better than playing ball with your best friend at university? So committed there. Um, I thought now, you know, like I'm the man, like it's, it's a wrap, right? Get to university, boom, get slapped in the face. Going from playing, you know, 40, 40 minutes a game, taking any shot, whatever shot I want to take. No one can tell me anything to not playing zero <laughs> and i'm like hold up this is not what i signed up for <laughs> so reality hit me very quickly right now you're in a different category now you go from being the best in high school now to playing with the best of their high schools so now you're like back to square one right and you got to prove yourself and show everybody that you belong there and you got to take your bumps and bruises along the road and i think that's what a lot of kids uh, suffer with right now because of social media. I, I don't want to blame social media predominantly because it's, it's such a good tool as well if you know how to use it. But because you can post a you doing a reverse layup and 40 of your friends comment and like and say, yo, you're in your bag, you're killing it. That starts to play with your head because now you get to university and all this glory and satisfaction that you've been getting for grade 9, 10, 11, 12 is now at the window because you can't do that now against a guy that's 6'11 or guys that are as big or faster or stronger than you, right? So you got to start training. So I tell kids all the time, no, it's not bad because you can use that as motivation, but don't let social media be the determining factor between you and your success. So, um, so yeah, so I get to university. I'm in my first year. Um, and at the time we had an all Canadian point guard that they just brought in. And then we had uh, two other veterans that, that, were, that were there. 
So I wasn't playing at all. And you would think that preseason was the time to, you know, get in your, your rookies and let them play and see what they're about and stuff like that. And we were scrimmaging against some CJFs and some colleges at the time for, for preseason. I wasn't playing at all. Confused. Cause I'm always someone that I, and I still stick to that till today. Like no one's going to outwork me if I'm like in the gym, like there's, it's impossible. I'm always going to put in more hours than anybody. So I was getting pissed because in practice I was doing very well. So we get our first preseason tournament in Ottawa. I'm coming back home. And I was like, Oh my God, like not to play in front of my family, all my friends, my coaches, everyone's coming to watch. My coach kept telling me on the way, like, listen, I know we're going to Ottawa. I'm going to do my best to get you in. And at the time, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, just, just show me. Don't say anything. Just show me. Just put me in the damn game. Okay? Show up. First quarter, nothing. Second quarter, nothing. Third quarter, nothing. Fourth quarter, down 45 to Carlton. Six minutes left. Coach is like, looks down the bench. Go in. I'm like, whoa. All right take off my warm-up, run in the game. And in five minutes, I had nine points. I was a second leading scorer. Three back-to-back-to-back threes. Okay, that's the one memory that's always going to stick in my head. I remember my family, coaches, everybody going crazy. And to me, it only stuck out because I took it almost as a as an insult at the time. Now I look back, but like that's just part of the grind as a rookie, right? Because I'm like, I don't want this type of glory because I know I can play basketball. Don't, don't commend me and clap for me because I made a shot because you're surprised that it, that it went in. Like I've put in the time to be here. Right. So for me, I didn't know how to deal with that kind of pat on the back when we got into the change room and coach was like, Whoa, like what the hell he can do that. I'm like, yo, I play basketball. Like it's not like I made a three, like, hello. So back then I was like, okay, Hopefully, you know, that maybe showed coach that I can can get in and play. We play uh, Saskatchewan the next day. I got in second quarter with like 30 seconds left. I'm like, ooh, this is early. Get in, <laughs> get in, get out. Didn't play the rest of the game. I'm like, what the hell? You know, so like these things start to mess with your head because it's like you, it's like you give a, a little kid a treat, right, for doing well. And the next thing you know, you like take it away. And like the kid's like, whoa, whoa what's going on? Right. So. I was like, hey, I got a taste of what a university game was like. And now you just like kind of took that away from me. So didn't know how to deal with him. Third day, Sunday, we play UPI. Our point guard goes down in the second quarter with like four minutes left. Coach puts me in. I play like three minutes to end the second half. I'm like, dope. Started the second half. I finished with 17 points, 18 points, something like that to finish the game. Um, and I was like, hey. Like, coach definitely now knows, like, I can hoop. Going to the change room, giving me all this, you know, pat on the back, good job, whatever. Things started to change for me. Like, now coach was kind of, like, speaking to me differently, you know, bringing me to his office, asking me, like, what do you think of this stuff? So I felt like now I was being a lot more involved and taken a little bit more serious. So I started to be, like, the sixth, seventh man now um, for the next little while until the season started. Once the season started, my minutes kind of dropped and then eventually got back down to like me being the 10th, 11th man on the team. So the year was kind of, it was very long. It was a very, uh, how do I, what am I saying here? So like 
I learned a lot, right? And and for me during that time, I feel like whenever you're in the moment, you never really understand what's what's happening around you because you're so focused on the negative opposed to the positives that are coming out of the situation. So I didn't know what was going on. School was also something that I never really excelled in. I guess I just did the bare minimum to get by just because I was so focused in basketball. And I mean, a lot of us athletes are like that. And that's why I think today I preach it so much to kids to focus in school because I don't want them to follow the same footsteps I went in. And and I want them to have as many options as possible because, you know, as soon as you get like a 75 and 80, you go wherever the hell you want. Anything lower than that, you pretty much now shoot yourself in the foot because you get a small window of two or three schools, right? So um, because I've went through that and I've dealt with it, I, I preach it so much today. So I struggled in school my first year. At the end of the year, I was on academic probation. Um, and if I didn't get my marks up the next semester, I was pretty much kicked out of school. So that summer, like, really hit me. I was like, okay, do I want to still play ball? Do I want to go to school? Like, what's like, what am I doing? And I'm always, I've always been someone that like, if I get into something, like I don't quit, like I find a way to get it done. I, I do whatever needs for me to, to figure it out. So I was like, okay, I, I got to still play basketball. So I did summer school that year, spring and summer. I stayed at school. I didn't even come home, got my marks up, took like five classes that spring and summer, uh, got the marks up. So I was, I was able to come back in September. And then coach over-recruited and brought in like eight new guys. And we only lost like three. Brings me to his office. He's like, listen, this is what the situation is in this year. Uh, we've over-recruited and it's going to be very difficult. Um, I know last year you weren't that content and we saw a glimpse and stuff like that. And we told you what to work on this summer. Clearly, we've seen that you've worked on it. We played a preseason game against a, a Division two school that came down. I had like eight or nine points. Um, and my biggest thing was my size. Like my first year when I got to university, Believe it or not, I don't think it's even possible now for a player to do that at this point. I was 156 pounds at 5'10", 5'9". So I was tiny. You're playing against guys that are, you know, 25, 24, 26 in their fourth, fifth year. I couldn't do anything. I was fast as a bullet. I could shoot. That's what separated me from everybody else. But in terms of, like, the physicality and stuff like that, it's something I struggled with. So that was something I focused on that summer was getting into the weight room because I never really ever did. So to me, I was like, I did everything you asked. I got my marks up. I put on my size. I, I did everything you asked. And you're telling me still now, like this is a situation we over-recruited. So I had to make a decision. I was like, okay. So he pretty much, he pretty much without saying it, gave me the ultimatum. Like, listen, you probably are not going to play. I don't want you just to sit down. It was almost like kind of trying to push me out the, out the door. So I was like, okay, hey, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to start contacting other schools, see what I can do. So I was heavily thinking of transferring that year. Um, I started contacting schools. Um, I got a couple offers. I, I was thinking of switching to Ottawa U at the time. Um, I had another school out in, uh, in BC that was interested as well. And the rule is, is as soon as I reach out to a school, they have to reach back out to our school. So I thought I was being discreet, like, okay, yo, let me just call, you know, this guy, this guy and say, what's up? I show up to practice and coach is like, so you reached out to uh, A, B, C, and D. And I'm like, oh, that's not going to be good. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, what, what, yo, what do you want me to do? Like, this is what it is. And he's like, 
listen, I, I won't badmouth you. I have only good things to say about you. This is just a situation right now. So um, I decided to sit that year because I was like, I don't want to either waste my eligibility, like play like two minutes and just not like get anything out of it and see what's best for me. And then my mom kept telling me, listen, because of the program that I was in and stuff like that, me transferring over, I'd only be bringing over like two or three credits. So my mom was like, you're going to waste like 12 grand to, to just switch. Like what, what, what does that make any sense? So I had to figure that out. And that year was probably the most, when I look back now, probably one of the best years of my university career, because I was able to work on all the weaknesses I had. I never got into fitness before fitness. I took seriously my nutrition. Uh, I was able to work on my school and my game. I pretty much like was playing in the murals, but I mean, I worked on my game every day because I had all that free time because you know how much time basketball takes, right? It's like a full-time job. So I literally worked on everything that I needed to do. And in my third year, I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to come back. I'm going to suck it up. Whatever happens, happens. I'm going to ride this out and hope for the best. So I did that and we made it to the conference finals that year. We lost to McGill in a game that I still think today we should have won. It was, it was a crazy game. Um, and then I was like, okay, like, you know, I started getting, I got a little bit more, more PT. Going into our fifth year, fourth year, same thing again, fifth year, I'm a senior, make it to nationals. But I pretty much had always the same kind of rule. I got some more minutes, obviously, in my, my fifth year. But I personally, till today, think that I could have had a different outcome if I went somewhere else. But I never, I never lived my life in regret or um, hope what if, because God has a plan for all of us. And I don't want to be all religious and stuff like that now. But when I look back on things, it's made me who I am today. And I'm, I'm actually thankful for all of those things, because if I didn't have all those bumps and bruises along the way and, um, you know, arguments with the coach or him, you know, forcing me to work on my inner self, I don't think I'd be doing what I am today. And the fact that I was able to still play professional basketball, despite the career I had there, is kind of a testament to show me that hard work is always going to get you over the top, no matter what happens in between. Okay. The in-between only, only makes you stronger. And if you really want to get there, you'll get there eventually. So, I mean, that was kind of my career up until university. And then, I mean, getting to playing professional basketball was obviously a dream come true. Um, signed a contract to play in Lebanon Division I. Um, and in my first year, there was seven ex-NBA players there. It's very, very highly competitive league. Um, and, I mean, I played three and a half years. Um, and during that time, I started my two company, well, my first company, which was the media company. And I kind of started that back to what I was saying earlier about, uh, you know, how I, I used media to help myself get exposure and get an offer and stuff like that, too. So being back in Ottawa, I was like, you know, playing men's leagues, helping out kids and stuff like that. And I'd see kids like that were good at basketball. And I'm like, hey, so where are you going next year? What are you doing? And I'd get the same response from some kids in men's leagues. Oh, nothing. Or no one saw me. Or, you know, obviously some kids obviously don't have the marks to get in school, which is on them. But I mean, a lot of these kids were lacking the exposure part. So again, a light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, why don't I create something or do something where I can help these kids get exposure like I did for myself when I was in high school? 
So I put together Next Level Media. Um, and at the time, it was called actually Next Level Sports Media, where I pretty much help kids create like a portfolio, like a resume that they can send out to coaches and hopefully get them that same either offer or opportunity that I had to get the foot in the door, right? And then, and then you know, it took off. It did really well. And then the company grew from there and I started doing more things. So we expanded. And then I was always doing basketball training and it's how I met uh, Jason. Had to, you know, school him a little bit just to get him, you know, better. But, uh, but uh, no, so I mean, my passion's always been there for training, fitness, basketball. So it kind of went from there. And then I started my own basketball training company back in 2018, going into my third year now. And it's only picked up from there, you know. So I've been able to travel to Africa the last three years, meet some amazing NBA coaches, trainers, scouts, um, help kids around the world and try to bring that here now. And then I started Team Believe, which is an organization that I started uh, last year. And my goal for that is to eventually bring it all the way down to the younger ages. And um, it's been an awesome journey. And the last couple of years have been um, a big learning experience as an entrepreneur. And I looking forward to the rest. But I mean, my biggest thing is that I've hit rock bottom many times. And I think that's what's made me so resilient and um, I guess strive to want to be better because I like proving people wrong. And some people don't like haters or feel negativity slows them down. But I always tell people that if you don't have haters or people that are negative in your life, you're not doing a good job because no one wants, everybody wants to see you do okay, but nobody ever wants to see you do better than them. That's just how people are. So once you start doing well, if you have haters in the room, you know, you're doing something right, because if you're doing something bad, nobody would care. So I always try to tell kids that I always try to tell people that do so well that you have haters. No one ever kind of preaches that, but it's something that I get people starting to think about. They're like, yo, it makes sense. Cause who wants to hate on someone that's not doing anything? It's just a waste of time. So, I mean, that's my kind of nutshell journey there in, uh, in that little thing here. But yeah. So actually going back real quick to, um, we were talking about the high school transition in the university for some of the younger kids, like kind of when I was being trained with you, uh, media was just starting to kind of pop off. I know like there was North Pole Hoops at the time was the only one in Canada and you came in. But at the time there was like, you know, Ball is Life, uh, Hoop Mixtapes, all that stuff. And um, we just had, you know, Bella's Talk Day. So kind of bringing some mental health into it. Um, How do you think that um, that kind of sets a standard that may be too high to some of those younger athletes who are kind of striving to, you know, reach some of their idols. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, I think I said a little bit earlier, like social media right now, it's, it's a double edged sword and some people try to live through social media and in reality, they're struggling. Um, and then on the other side, you have people who are using it to do good, to, uh, thrive and also expose themselves and hopefully help others. Right. So for me, depending on how you use it, it can either hinder you or it could propel you. So it's something that I feel like us coaches and role models need to start educating and teaching kids what to do because no one really does that. We, we preach to you on the outside, but no one ever goes into the social media part because I think a lot of people who are even older than myself still don't understand it themselves because they're not really invested in social media themselves. 
So for them to kind of talk about it, they don't really know how to go about it, right? So for someone like myself that I use social media like constantly now to, you know, spread awareness and, you know, use it for helping athletes and, you know, doing all that other stuff. I think it's almost our job to tell kids like, listen, post your stuff, but don't let that be your highlight. Like, that can't be the, the peak of your life. Like you need to understand like, yeah, you had a nice crossover jump shot. Is that, that's your game summed up? Like that was a good play, but don't let that, like, don't let that fool you because there's a thousand other kids who are posting the same thing. So use that to help you move forward and use your comments and your friends and everything as motivation to continue to work. But if you're just going to post stuff now and then and just sit at home and say, Ooh, I'm chilling. You're going to hit reality very quickly. And I think that's the part that's going to hurt you the most, not receiving two comments. So I think, I think kids need to start understanding that, but it's our job as coaches and mentors and, and stuff like that to, to come back and explain to the kids that it's not bad to post, but after you post, get back in the gym, mm -hmm. go, go put in the work. Don't just post now and just sit around and then just post again the next game. Like it's not going to get you anywhere. And reality sets in very quickly. And I tell kids all the time, like, yeah, you're in grade nine. You still have a little bit of time to mess around. But the next thing you know, you're in grade 10, grade 11, grade 12. The window is now like this close. So what now? All those highlights or those little mixes that you posted between grade nine and 12, what have they got you? Nothing. So you really need to put in the time and the work because at the end of the day, you're hoping to get a university scholarship or college scholarship. So if your work ethic is not matching what you're posting, you're literally setting yourself up failure. That's where I stand with that. And I think it's something that needs to kind of be more spoken about because I don't think a lot of people do. Um, but uh, hopefully, I mean, if things start to change and, and kids start to realize that it's not as easy as you think, you know, you could be good in grade 10, grade 11, or be top 10 in your city. But sometimes when you're coming from a small town or these rural areas, you don't know how good you are until you step into a big city that has four or 5 million people, or you're traveling for tournaments and you realize like, why can't I make this shot anymore? Why can't I beat this guy so easily? So reality sets in real quick. And I think that's, those are things that need to be spoken about more and, and shown to a lot of athletes because you don't know until you're put into the fire and sometimes you put into the fire too late and then you get there and then you realize I'm in grade 12 and I'm, yo, I still suck. Now what? Right. So, um, things are changing. Um, I think a lot more awareness is being put into, uh, sports, but basketball has grown exponentially within the last even five years. And I, and you know, the Raptors winning and with all these programs that are happening now and trainers giving back and, all of these other things, I think basketball is on the up for Canada big time. And you see it now and just how many guys are going division one and then all the Canadian basketball players we have in the NBA. So um, hopefully things start to change and, and with change, I think we will have better athletes kind of moving up the, uh, the scale here. Anyways, let's talk a bit about your pro career. You know, you played overseas, you experienced a lot. I'm really curious about this though, for athletes coming out of college university, just talk about the whole process of, you know, getting a look, hiring your agent, signing a contract and all that. Yeah. So 
there's pro leagues everywhere. Okay. I talk to guys all the time. Now I have guys that I even work with right now that are playing pro. And the thing is, is like anybody, like I'm going to be blunt here. Okay. I'm not going to sugarcoat things. I want people to know the real deal. Like there are lots of divisions of pro. You can go be a pro player and play division four or five in another country. That's like playing like rec league here. Like it's nothing. I get paid like 400 bucks and they'll say they'll cover your room. But like, for me, it's like, are you willing to do that? You can work here full time at a McDonald's and make more money than 400 bucks. So some people just do it to say they've played pro. Some people just want to get that status of, yo, I was a pro baller, but are you really a pro baller? Like there's levels to it. Right. So um, going back to your question, I mean, um, in my last year, I was getting contacted by a few agents. So uh, what tends to happen is that all of these countries have their agents that are physically there. Then you also have agents that are in North America looking to sign big time players. But the agents that are typically out of the country trying to find players, they're usually going for players of that ethnicity because depending on the country you go to, you're allowed to either have, let's just say one import or two import or three imports, depending where you're playing. So for example, for myself, I was getting contacted by Lebanese agents because my father is Lebanese. My mom's from Africa, my dad's from Lebanon. Um, so they're hoping that I have my Lebanese citizenship and I would, I'd be counted as a local, even though I'm an import. So the best teams in Lebanon, they have, let's just say eight or nine imports, but they're not imports on paper because they have their citizenship. So they stack up. So I was getting contacted by a couple agents saying like, listen, we want you to come to Lebanon. We're seeing your stats. We're seeing your videos, you know, come and play. But at the time, I didn't have my papers. My dad, when he immigrated here, never took us back, never got our paperwork done, nothing like that. But it wasn't something that I told them. I was just like, yeah, I'm interested. Like, I'll come down, like, see what's up. Because my whole goal was that I'd go down there, do well enough for them to be like, okay, we'll use you as an import spot. Like, that's how, you know, good we think you are. So initially, I went down there, and that's pretty much exactly what happened until they found out the one team that they're like, crap, we already signed the max amount of imports. We can't sign you. But they wanted me that bad. They're like, listen, we'll help you get all your paperwork. And things in other countries are not like they are here where everything is very structured and you can go to the town hall and there's documents and whatever. You need to know someone that knows someone that can speed things up and money under the table and like all that other stuff to kind of expedite the process and everything like that. So I had to sit now for the next like three or four months while they got my paperwork done, get that process done. And during that time, I was looking at what's going on, right. And, and feeling the, the field that I had, I was lucky that I had three imports that were there that were vets. Like two guys were playing pro for 10, 12 years, been around so many other countries. And I was listening to their stories and just, watching what was even happening around my team and in the league. And everybody thinks that when you make it pro, you're, you're chilling. Like you're not most guys, when they start their pro career, depending where you're going, you're probably making anywhere from like $1,800 to three grand, depending where you're playing, unless you're playing in a top league or you're a top guy where you're making five plus or four plus, which is very good money. Um, so you get into this situation where you're hearing stories and what guys are being made, getting paid or sometimes your payment's late two months. 
or they give you a little bit of money and tell you the rest of the money is coming. So you're sitting there and you're waiting for this money because you got to obviously make your money to send back home. Some of these guys have families and have kids. So you're hearing like stories and, and you, you start to think like, is this what I want to do? Like, is this what the pro-life is all about? And now you're like in another situation where you don't want to go home because you go home, all your friends are going to start to ask you, yo, did you get cut? Like what's happening? Um, or you get home now and legally the team, you cannot sign elsewhere until the team gives you your um, release. So now you come home and two things are happening. A, you're sitting down. So unless you can physically train and try to stay prepared, you hope for the for them to release you. And then B, you don't have anywhere else to go. So most guys suck it up. I had a couple friends who played in Greece, was didn't get didn't get paid one dollar for six months. One dollar. They kept covering his housing, they're giving him food and kept telling him the money's coming, money's coming. So he was like, Listen, if I go home, like I was saying earlier, like a lot of these things are gonna happen. So why don't I stay here, still stay in game shape, play, get film? And then, you know, like I did my job. They can never badmouth me. And I'm going to do what I have to do as a, as a professional player. Like I signed a contract. I'm going to fulfill it. So a lot of guys end up in these crappy situations and um, you got to make a, a choice. I know some guys that have played four or five or six years and they bounce around division two, II, division three, hoping to eventually go up where you make the real money in division one. And some of them are making like $800, a thousand dollars. And, at the end of the day, you almost are paying more money to be there than money you're making. So I had to realize quick because in Lebanon, I had a great opportunity to continue playing and going back. And I'm lucky that I had mentors and people around me to tell me that, like, listen, you could play for 10, 15 years. Now you got to start thinking about this. You get back to your city, for example, at 35 years old. You're starting brand new. Your network is very low. You're now trying to get yourself situated in your city, trying to find a job, trying to do all these things now, starting brand new. So you got to start now thinking like, do I want to be 35 years old, just getting my feet wet now, trying to find a job? And we all know now finding a job is very hard, even if you graduate with a degree or two degrees. It's now about who you know and all these other things, right, that factor in. Or... You've played pro for two years. You've got your feet wet. You know, you put it in your resume. Why not start now at 25, 26 and start building your career? By 35, you are now 10 years experience into the work work world. And you have that network built in your city and have already now started to make a name for yourself and do all these other things. So that really hit me home after my second or third year, just because of all the stories you start to hear about professional basketball. Don't get me wrong. If you're playing in the EuroLeague or you're playing in the NBA and all these other things, a different story. You're making millions of dollars and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. But if you're not in that top percentile and you're only making a few thousand dollars here and there, you got to start thinking about your future and realize, is this what I want to continue doing and struggling just to make a grand or two grand where I can be home and start actually getting work experience, right? So that was my experience there. I mean, it was great, but I learned a lot because what we get taught growing up about professional basketball is not what it's like. It's, it's a grind. It's very cutthroat. You can be there today and they can cut you tomorrow. Like I had in my first year, within the first month and a half, I had four different imports come in because 
they sign you today, they're like, listen, we expect you. So imports are usually the best players. They're expected to do everything from scoring to rebounding to passing, whatever. If we lose, even if you had 25, 10, and 10, they're going to tell you like, yo, that wasn't enough. And the locals are very harsh. Let's just put it that way. So I speak Arabic. I understand Arabic. Um, but I never did speak when I went there initially at the beginning just to make it seem like I didn't understand. And to hear these guys talk behind your back, your teammates' backs, blame you, say it to the coach. I had to, I snapped one day in practice. I'm like, yo, this guy has a family. Like, this is his job. Like, you can't be saying stuff just because you're not content with what's going on for you. Like, they'd be saying like, yo, let's get rid of this guy. Like, yo, he doesn't pass the ball and stuff like that. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, that's not right. And just, just that part showed me how cutthroat the league was and just professional basketball that you could be there today, sign a contract and be gone tomorrow, sitting at home with no job. So all those things need to be factored in when you're looking at the professional level of things and understand that it's still a grind just because you made it, you actually didn't make it. So I want guys to understand that signing a contract is not what you think it is. You're not driving a Ferrari next week. You're still going to be trying to rack up and save up and go through that process like you did as a kid and as a university athlete. So, well, yeah. Like what you've been hearing so far? Make sure to follow us on IG at Lakers Locker Room and subscribe to our YouTube channel while you're at it, where you can find clips of all our episodes and video content associated with the podcast. Part two of the Lakers Locker Room starts now. Anyways, let's switch it to the business side. You know, um, you're the CEO of Next Level Fitness. You're the owner of Next Level Media. Where did your passion of entrepreneurship come from and why was it so important for you to start your own thing? I don't know if entrepreneurship was always something that was, I guess you can say was something I thought of doing. Um, I personally think I've always been a natural leader and I've done that by example in terms of my work ethic. And I think that's just trickled into my life now is that I've always been outspoken as well. And I feel working for someone wasn't something that I enjoyed doing at a time because I always felt there was more that I could do and things that I wanted to say or even uh, introduce. So it's hard to do that when you're working for someone and you don't really have a say in terms of what to do next, right? So um, I think it just was something that, I mean, my mom has her own business as well. So I mean, maybe seeing her as well throughout my upbringing was something that kind of trickled into my life as well. So um, the whole media part was, um, something that, like I said earlier, was something I did for myself and seeing many kids in the same situation I was in kind of bothered me. And Jason mentioned it earlier, there's ball is life, there's hoops, mixtape and all these other things, but they're not here in Canada. And Ottawa has been a place, especially in the basketball realm of things, it's been a city that's been slept on for years. And We've had talent throughout the years. We always do very well at the competitive level. We usually medal. We had an NBA player come out of here. And I mean, we're just hitting over a million people. And I understand that it's not a basketball city per se, but we do have talent. And for me, I was always like, I wish I had those things growing up because who knows what could have happened, right? 
and all the endless possibilities. So for me, I was just like, why don't I start start this or try, you know? And I have no entrepreneurship experience. I have no idea how to start business. So I kind of went into it just saying like, let's just see what happens. And just like anything, you kind of learn as you go through the, the steps, right? And you start to ask questions and you get information and then you mess up and then you learn from that and then you know to do not to do that next time and try this and stuff like that right so just a lot of trial and error but uh once i started next level media back in 2016 um it started to pick up a lot of traction because of the need that it had in in ottawa itself so for me it was like i was doing things that i wish i had more more than me thinking like what do we need it's more like i wanted this i'm sure a lot of kids want the same thing so I'm just going to try this. So I use my experience of putting highlight tapes together and, and stuff like that to now kind of pushing it out there and saying, this is what I'm offering to after that, going into my second year where we ran an exposure camp, because I'm like, we don't have any of those. They have all these like big showcase camps in like Toronto and other places. We don't have one in Ottawa. And the biggest thing is like, I wanted to bring the coaches to the players instead of the players trying to find the coaches. So I started running my exposure camp and that picked up. And in our first year, I was able to get three kids um, offers. And one of them went to Algonquin, became ESOL rookie team, rookie of the year. And that was awesome to see somebody that didn't have anything on the table to accomplish that in his first year. So um, that kind of picked up over the next two, three years. And in our third year, we had 18 university and college and CJEP coaches come to the exposure camp. So for me, that was just a, a testament to say that, like, we do have experience, I mean, uh, potential here in Ottawa. And then the whole training stuff, I mean, I was always into helping athletes and uh, doing that throughout high school whenever I was available to do, you know, basketball camps and then in university coming back. And then, um, in 2018, I decided to start my own just because I felt I wanted to try new things and offer things that were not really offered and kind of branch out and and just see what I can do on my own. Because now I've started my first company and I saw kind of all the the fun side of things. I think being an entrepreneur is it's very scary because you never know what's going to happen. Um, and I think that's one thing that a lot of people kind of stay away from because as an entrepreneur, like I was saying, you don't know if you're going to make $10 this week or you're going to make a hundred bucks or what's to come if you're going to fail. And that's what scares people is not knowing because your bills are going to still come. They don't stop regardless of what job you have, what job you don't have. So for me, I kind of thrive on that. And that's like a, a thrilling adrenaline rush because I'm like, I can't take my foot off the gas because if I do, I won't have money to pay my bills. I'm not going to be able to move forward. And I think that adrenaline rush is something that you also get in sports when, you know, you're playing and that whole feel of, we got to make this basket, like 10 seconds left in the game, like the balls in my hand, like what am I going to do? Right. So I feel like sports is sports is very much been a kind of, a vehicle that pushed me into thriving as an entrepreneur and that whole mindset of being a leader, being disciplined, being on time, time management, 
all those things kind of have helped me become a better entrepreneur. And I don't know. I don't know why I've become one, but I feel like I'm in the right place now. And and I tell people all the time, opportunities pass us by each day. And it's up to us to seize that opportunity, right? Sometimes we don't think that's good for us. Sometimes we think that's good for us, right? So um, these things, I don't want to say fell into my lap. I think everything that has happened throughout my childhood and my early adulthood have prepared me for what's to come now. And sometimes you don't see it, but, you know, in five or 10 years, you're going to be doing something and you're going to tell yourself, like, I was built for this. I was meant to do this. You might not see it now, right? But you're going to land in a job and be like, whoa. I'm in the right place. Right. So I feel like this kind of was my calling per se. And, and I'm doing it now to help others. And I get a sense of happiness and I kind of thrive from it when I help a kid reach that next level, because I'm like, I would have wanted someone to help me do the same thing. So for me, it's like, I got to keep pushing and, and I get, I get kind of excited doing it. So, yeah. So I kind of see in the background there the Under Armour shoes. I've seen on your social media you've been posting, uh, <laughs> been posting a bit. You're in um, what was it? Uh, it was like a competition for a bunch of different trainers. The whole Under Armour thing started uh, back in 2018, and it's funny. Like I got uh, one of my friends actually posted uh, a video, like the things that I post now of like the Under Armour shoes and stuff. I'm like, yo, like why the hell are you getting these kicks? Or no, sorry, he was at a, at an Under Armour event a camp a basketball thing and i was like yo how can i get involved like i want to come coach can i be a volunteer anything like that and then he's like yo listen i'll put you in touch with uh one of the guys and then i didn't hear back from anything for like five or six months and i had forgotten about it by then i was like okay whatever and then in december of 2018 i got contacted by one of the uh the guys that set up the camps and events and stuff like that. And he's like, Hey, listen, we got your name and we did like a bunch of research on you. And we saw your social media, what you're doing with youth and everything else like that. We would love to have you come out to uh, this event that we're holding. And there was 25 of us. And it was all guys that are influencers, whether it's in basketball or guys that are like shoe fanatics that have like hundred thousand followers and they do like shoe reviews and all these other things because they want them to obviously do the review on like the curries and all that other stuff. So be like, listen, we're holding this event, December, whatever it was in Toronto. Can you come down? We have Steph Curry's trainer coming down, the guy that created the shoe and we're going to do a big event the whole day, you know, testing the shoe and all that other stuff. And I was like, can you come? I'm like, don't ask me twice. Just give me the time. I'm coming. <laughs> so, uh, so I show up, but I don't know what's to come of it. Right. I thought it was like a one day thing. You know, I go say, what's up, meet all these people network and you know just be on my way back home so i get there they deck you all out in like got an under armor bag gear shoes you hear about you know how the shoes created and then steph curry's trainer puts us through a bunch of steph curry's drills and i think i was the only current basketball player other guys were like guys that maybe played in high school but like i said a lot of shoe guys so all the drills that he was showing i was like doing very well in them so he started using me as like examples and all that other stuff and i'm like oh what's up you know like <laughs> you know like i can you know, he's like i was like this was pretty apt right like you know being able to to be 
use as an example Steph Curry's trainer and then start talking to him after asking him questions and pretty much networking. I didn't, I didn't see what's to come of it later. But uh, pretty much from there on, um, because of like the constant stuff that I've been doing and then the social media posting, Under Armour was like, hey, listen, like we like what you're doing and we want to get more involved in who you are, what you're offering and see how we can, you know, get you more involved. So I started to become like an influencer for them. They started sending me shoes on a regular basis whenever any new colorway came out and stuff like that to obviously promote and, you know, show the kids because they want obviously athletes to start using it. And because I'm heavily involved in basketball and Steph Curry now was the new wave of, you know, in the face of Under Armour basketball. So they wanted to start pushing that out there and use me as an influencer. And then it grew to now having them part of my uh, organization team believe and part of my camps whenever I run things. So they've been a huge, huge, huge help. And, uh, a boost in everything that I've been doing. I mean, to say that you're, you know, partnered with a brand like that is, is pretty awesome. So I'm very grateful for everything that they've done. And I mean, um, I, I hope to continue, you know, sticking by them and them helping me out and everything that I've been doing. But uh, yeah, man, like I said earlier, opportunities pass us by each day. And I mean, I could have said no to that and said, Hey, I was busy. Sorry. No, thank you. And none of this would have ever happened. Right. So sometimes you got to take a risk. You never know what's going to happen, even though, like I tell people all the time, don't look at what can come out of it. Just go with it because what you don't even know can happen sometimes can happen, right? And you never could even believe that could have ever happened, right? So you might get an email one day from a random dude saying like, hey, can you come on my podcast? Like today, right? <laughs> but now let's just say you're talking to this guy and maybe he gets a job in like a year from now. And he's like, listen, yo, I remember that guy that came on my podcast, Jason, like, yo, that guy was a, I had an amazing time with him. Hey, Jason, I have this job opportunity, blah, blah, what you like? And you're like, whoa, yeah, that's awesome. Next thing you know, you have a job, right? Yeah. So I tell people all the time, like never burn your bridges. Um, and when an opportunity passes you by, you know, look at the pros and cons from it. Like, what is it? How long is it? Like, what can I potentially gain from this opportunity? Even if it's nothing big, maybe you're gaining a potential network and, and you know, like you never know what's to come from it. So I'm grateful for this whole Under Armour thing because I could never have imagined that two years ago. Like for me to say I'm working with Under Armour and I have shoes coming to my door, clothes and whatever, like what the hell? So um, it's been, it's been awesome. And I'm very grateful for that. And I mean, I hope through all of this, I'm able to show just the kids, you know, and everything that I, and people that I work with that, like, I'm a typical average dude from Ottawa. I'm not some like high roller that came from like, you know, a billion dollar family or anything like that, that like anything is possible to continue to grind because back to the social media part, like it's endless right now. And if you use it properly, you can literally target and meet so many people and get opportunities from just posting and like, I use social media for that. And from that, I've been getting now contacted from brands and people and things like that. And you'd never imagine that. Right. So it's, it's, it's been awesome. And I tell people to always keep your doors open and be polite. Like it's something that I think goes much further than people, people remember. So, um, so yeah. Yeah. Touching on your personal training, you know, it's safe to say over the last decade, the game has changed. You know, going back to the 2000s, you know, you have NBA teams who are predicated on big men. Like the last time a team that was 
focused on a big man that made the finals was like Dwight Howard back in 2009. And right now it's 2021. So since you're being a personal trainer, has there been any like struggle in terms of like keeping up with how the game has changed and towards like training your players? Because the way like point guards were like 10 years ago is not the way point guards are now. So obviously the way you train people like now can't be the way you train people 10 years ago. So how have you been able to keep up with the way the game is changing so fast? Let's just say it's very challenging. And I, I think the game is going to continue to change. Like, what do we see it now? It's not going to be like in the next five or 10 years. Like you guys see it every day. There's new rules being changed, like adding a zero step now and all these other things. Like we're seeing things that never were possible. And like before everything was top handed dribbling. Now you have guys doing in and outs, the whole step back. Like the game is constantly evolving. And what I predicate myself on and I feel um, is something that I, I think is a big help for me is that the fact that I'm still playing, um, I'm able to still keep up with the new rules and bring that into my training. I think that's been a big help for me. But in terms of training per se, um, the game has changed dramatically. And now it's almost like there's it's positionless basketball, if you want to call it that. Like, if you can't dribble, you can't play. If you can't shoot, you can't play, right? Unless you're obviously a freak of nature that can catch the ball and just dunk it or whatever it is. But now, no matter what position you are, you got to almost have a well-rounded game. You got to be able to pass. You got to be able to shoot. You got to be able to, to dribble. And for me as a trainer now, I don't teach kids just like specific things until I feel you get a little bit older, just because the fact is, is that you never know. Okay. Yeah. So I'll put it this way. So you never know, for example, you could be 13 years old and you're five, nine, you're taller than every single kid. You can stop growing. We don't know if you're going to be six, eight or five, nine. So for me, basketball is something that, like I was saying, the more tools you have, the better it's going to be for you. And I think training in the past opposed to now is that in the past, if you were tall, we're only going to train you as a big guy. If you're small, we're going to train you as a guard. So now you're, you at 13 are, are five, nine, you at 17 are still five, nine now, but you only know how to do a hook shot or a, a drop step and, and lay it in at the basket. But we know now playing college university, you're not going to be a big man at five, nine. It's impossible. So all the reps that you've lacked for the last 15 years of your life to, to learn how to dribble, you're trying to do that now at 17. You're never going to catch up to anybody that's been dribbling on the outside since he was six years old. So for me as a trainer now, I teach every kid everything, no matter what you are. And I think you start to get a little bit, get more specific as you start getting older, because obviously now as a kid gets to 16, 17 years old, you're now almost obviously at the peak of your your height, you're not going to go another 10 inches now in the next three years, right? So for me, it's giving a kid all the tools at a young age, learning how to shoot, how to dribble, um, how to post up. You want to learn all these things because you never know, like I was saying, where you're going to end up. And I give a high praise for the European game because if you look at all of those guys, they can do everything. Like prime example is Jokic. Like these guys come into the league and they have all of these skills where in North America, it's predominantly based on let's tear off the rim, let's be athletic, let's run, you know, and if you're a shooter, you're just a shooter. If you can handle, you just handle, right? Opposed to having a complete game. And I think 
it's starting to change a lot now that you need to have a lot of the skills and basketball is only becoming taller and taller. Um, before a lot of point guards and guards were like six feet. Now the point guard position is now like six, four, six, five. And then you have guys now like Giannis and all these other guys now who are seven feet that can run dribble and shoot. I mean, he can't shoot that well, but I mean, you know, he's good. He's working on that part of his game. And, and for me, it's like, if you don't have those tools, you're starting to now kind of be off the grid. Like, no one recruits now just specialty players. I mean, yeah, you, you have a few of those guys, but if you look at the game now, it's like you can't just be a shooter anymore and just have a career. You got to be able to now still put the ball on the floor and make a play because the game is now just getting bigger, stronger, faster, and there's so many things that are constantly changing. So for me, it's like you got to constantly adapt with the movement of the game because if you don't, you're going to get left behind. And um, I think a lot of players, I mean, coaches that are older than myself are kind of still stuck in the way of this worked for me. I'm going to just continue to teach that, which is not wrong, but we're constantly adapting, right? It's like buying a car. If it's not cost efficient, you got to put gas every kilometer. Why would I do that opposed to buying a new car from 2020 that I can drive now 20 kilometers before I put gas in it, right? So if we can be more efficient and give us tools to help us expand our game and become better. Why not teach that stuff? Right. So um, as much work as it, as, as it is for a player to become better, it's the same thing for a trainer. I got to constantly watch videos and watch what's going on. And I'm watching NBA. Sometimes I'm like, what the hell, how the hell did he just do that? And then reading the rules and then realizing that till today, I still don't know very well the zero step. Like I don't think a lot of people still do and how to use that. And I think once we start to learn, how to use that to our advantage, even new moves are going to come out and constantly trying to figure things out like that. It's a constant, uh, constant, uh, what's it called? Rise of, of basketball. And it's, it's a testament to how the game has developed and, and for us to just constantly be learning. So um, I'm, I'm learning every day and it's uh, a challenge in itself as well. Through it all, what have been the biggest lessons you've learned that have helped to become a better businessman and person? just throughout this whole journey of your life, playing basketball, pro, everything? The biggest thing that I give a praise to are, I mean, it's going to sound cliche because probably everybody says it and stuff like that, but me failing um, is probably been the biggest learn learning curve for me and, and experience because every time that I failed, I've learned that, okay, that doesn't work clearly. So now I got to try something else. And I think I said it earlier is that whenever we're in the moment of failure, we don't realize that we're actually getting closer to what we want to do. And we only look at the negative. And I think we need to start changing our mindset as people that every time we fail, instead of putting our head down, we should commend ourselves and give ourselves a pat on the back because now we know we've kind of... We know that's not going to work. So now we're a step closer. So we're only going to, it's like being a scientist. You have all these trials and trials and trials and trials until you eventually get that, you know, that uh, success. So for me, it's like failing has been the biggest learning experience for me. And the thing that I look back on and I say, thank you for, um, and all the people that I've met along the way. And because 
without the people that are like, you know, you never get to where you are by yourself. It's impossible. You know, you're going to have multiple people along the way. Some people play a bigger role. Some people play a smaller role, but everybody has played a role in your life to get you to where you are. And, and I, and I thank those people who have been along my journey a lot because I've learned from them, whether it was even things that I didn't like. Now I know what I don't like. So I'm thankful for that. And the people who are positive people, I thank them because they've helped me and uplifted me into where I am today. So um, as an entrepreneur and everything that I've, you know, accomplished to now and, and what I look forward to is all those failures because I want them. Now being where I am today, I, I, I look for those failures because I'm like, I'm a step closer. You know, instead of looking for all the yeses, look for a lot, of, look, look for all the no's. No one tells you that stuff because when you look at a no or you hear the word no from when we're a little kid, what is, what does no equate to? Negative, right? We know when our parents say no or our dad yells at us or anything else like that, it's something bad, but we should look at it as, okay, that didn't work. I'm going to try a different approach. You go to the grocery store as a kid, you know, when, when I was younger, you know, you go down the snack aisle, you go all down these things and you try to grab a bag of chips your dad tells you no or whatever it is you get mad but then you try another approach the next time but you don't even realize that as a kid maybe now instead of asking your dad you maybe just drop it into the cart with sneaking it so now you, you you get to the cash he's standing all the items he doesn't even notice but it worked for you right so you like you realize these things as you get older that no teaches you how to do something different or better the next time and i think as an adult now and a role model and stuff like that, we got to teach kids. And even like what you guys are doing here, I think is awesome because when, when these kids can listen to this or anybody listening to this, they can start to understand that take no as a positive instead of as a negative and use that to propel you forward in what you're doing. Because without no's, you never know what you're not doing right and what you're doing wrong. Right. So you need those in your life. And um, as an entrepreneur, especially, you're going to hear no more than you hear yes. And all those people that we think are billionaires and millionaires have run into like brick wall after brick wall after brick wall and have got to where they are because of that. If they stopped the first time they heard no, we wouldn't know what Amazon was. We wouldn't know what all these things are. The guy in Amazon didn't make profit for over 20 years, started in his garage. So like, look where he is now, you know, so... For me, it's like, don't look at where you are now and take that as defeat because you didn't do anything in your first year or second year. Look, look back at all the positives that have happened. Don't look, don't look at the immediate success because no one has immediate success. It's impossible. So just like an athlete, you know, we're all athletes here. You didn't wake up being able to do a reverse layup or a crossover between your legs pull up. It took time and time and time, but we enjoyed doing that along the way. So always look at the smaller success instead of the bigger success, because I think that's what's going to fuel you and actually give you the constant motivation that you need to continue waking up and doing what you want to do on a regular basis. Jamil, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your stories. Really appreciate it. So we're winding down this podcast now. So we're getting to our quick hitter segment. So this is the part of the podcast where we ask the guests a question and that's answered as fast as possible. So JC, have the questions ready? Uh, Yo, you better watch what you asked me, boy. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay. First question. Who's your favorite artist? Oh my god. Michael Jackson. Okay, artist or song you have on repeat? On repeat? Some, something by Chris Brown. Okay. <laughs> All-time favorite album? Probably a Michael Jackson album. The one that has like Billie Jean and Beat It and all those those tracks. I don't forget what it's called. Okay, favorite athlete? Kobe Bryant. All-time favorite sports movie? Ooh. Jason, what's Coach your answer after? Coach Carter. Facts. Coach Carter. Yeah. I was saying Rebound by Martin with Martin Lawrence and Wendy Ricard Robinson. That's my favorite movie. Rebound. That's a good one. Rebound. That's a good one. Right, if you could spend a day with someone dead or alive, who would it be? Kobe. Kobe? Okay. This one's a personal question for me. So, Jamil, do you like pineapple on your pizza? Of course. If people don't, delete them. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, okay. Jason. Wait up, wait up. This is another personal question for Tejan. Milk before cereal or cereal before milk? Who the hell puts milk before cereal, guy? <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> if you put milk before cereal, you can never have a, a lot of cereal because it's going to be to the top. You put cereal first, put the milk after. I agree. I agree. Come on, Tejan. One of these days, I'm going to get someone to say it, and when I do, I'm going to celebrate. It's okay? impossible. It's like asking if you put ketchup before the hot dog. Who does that? <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Last show you binge watched. Um, What's it called again? Oh my god. It's with that lawyer. What's that lady's name? She's a black lady. She's a... Oh my god. How to get away with murder. There you go. Oh, okay, okay, okay. LeBron or Jordan? Ah, oh, man. This discussion. You guys want to do like another two-hour podcast on this or what? No, don't, no, no. Just, <laughs> just give us your opinion. I'm going to say they are both influential people in their own ways, but if I'm going to play a basketball game right now, today, I'm taking Jordan because I know I'm going to win the game. Okay. I'm not mad at that. One skill. What's one skill you wish you were good at? I wish I could dance better. That's a good one. <laughs> I respect that. I respect that. Most of them have been saying uh, singing. Yeah, I say I singing. Like My voice is good already. I'm the next Chris Brown. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Best point guard in the league. Best point guard in the league. I'm gonna still have to say I love my boy Chris Brown. Uh, I said Chris Brown, Chris Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Paul is is up there for me right now. Okay, okay, Jason, I want you to answer this too, but Jamal, I'm gonna ask you first. All time starting five. Wow. Okay. Uh, AI. Okay. Kobe. Mm-hmm. Jordan. LeBron and Shaq. Oh, ain't nobody beating that team. <laughs> Just who's yours? Magic point guard, Kobe, LeBron, either Timmy D or um, the Admiral, David Thompson at power forward, and then Jack at center. You mean David Robinson? We're beating you by four. Yeah, you can put that lineup. First of all, you don't even have. First of all, you're automatically lost because you don't have Jordan in your starting lineup. So you're automatically gone. Never put Jordan in my starting five. <laughs> Yeah, what? I'm taking Kobe over Jordan. I'm taking Kobe over Jordan at shooting guys. First of I'm all, I'm not running Kobe at small forward. You don't have to. Then, okay. I can't not, not have Kobe on the list. Okay, we're not we're not getting to that, Jimmy. Anyways, <laughs> mine. Okay, I think mine is pretty good. Magic, Jordan, LeBron, Kareem, Shaq. Shaq. That's good. That's really good. 
Okay. All right. If, if we're in like alternate timeline, we got a different Jamel, and you weren't playing basketball, like you didn't play basketball growing up, what would you do? Like, what would you be doing now? I'd probably be a professional soccer player. Final question. And people have, have struggled with this question, but I want to see if you do. If you could make a soundtrack of your life, what three songs are you using? A soundtrack of my life? That describes your <laughs> life. Like, I think just by hearing your story from this podcast, I think it's pretty easy to use Grinding on My Life by Nipsey Hussle. I think that's a pretty easy song to use for you, but... There you go, that's, that's a good one for sure, 100%. You got started from the bottom by Drake. Yeah. You gotta um, have Chris Brown in there somewhere. You gotta have Chris Brown. Somewhere. I'm trying to think. That's what I'm, trying, I'm trying to think right now. One good song, Chris Breezy. Um, Ooh, I know a lot of Chris Brown too. Uh, what piece I'd have to look, but I know those are two good ones though for sure. But uh, one by Michael Jackson. I forget what it's called. Um, I forget what it's called now. But uh, that is a tough question. I've never ever heard that question before. That's a good one. I'd, I'd agree though with the, the two that you said. I would strongly agree with those two but i feel like my life too has a little bit of hippiness i need some chris brown in there so chris brown so i mean those, those two that you said probably in a, in a chris brown song will probably be a soundtrack and actually my boy usher has been up there too so there's one song one or two songs that i think that he has too that's uh that i could add there i'm not there yep, i remember for sure yeah, I've answered this question like every week, so I'll tell you what the ones I said. I said the, the two that I said, Grind On My Life by Nipsey Hussle, Started From The Bottom by Drake. I've said My Moment, which is by DJ Drama featuring Meek Mill, 2 Chainz, and Jeremiah. I always keep forgetting to see Jeremiah. And then the, the song that I always add is, I don't know if you know the song, but every, I think everyone knows the song is Remember The Name by Fort Minor. I think oh, yeah. Knows. Yeah. Was it 10% luck, 50% skill, yeah, whatever? Yeah. 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 100%, yep, is that song. But anyways, that's all the time we have. So, um, Jamil, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it and taking the time appreciate to talk you, with us. No, man, thank you guys. And I appreciate you guys just even having me on here. But uh, most of all, what you guys are doing is awesome. And I think, like I said earlier, back at the beginning, that everyone has a different story. And all, all it takes is one person to hear your story. And all of a sudden, you change their outlook or their vision on life, right? And if you can help one person resonate with your story and then find some sort of um i think that's what's the most important so uh i commend you guys for you know putting this together and uh bringing people on here to speak about you know their struggles and things that they've gone through and and uh spread some positivity along the way too so um appreciate you guys appreciate that Jamila. also before we go shameless plug do you want to shout anybody out shout out your business uh, just i mean uh you need basketball training in the city of Ottawa or Canada, call at your boy. And uh, no, man, more than anything, guys, keep your head up. Struggles are going to constantly be part of your life no matter what. Even when you think you're at the top, you're not. You know, strive to be better. Um, that's what I tell kids all the time. And and don't take your foot off the gas. I mean, even though you might feel like, you know, you, you've done what you can, there's always more that you can do. So um, just continue to push forward. and. And most of all, just stay humble and positive no matter how high you get or how low you get. I mean, um, there's going to always be people who are below you and wish they had what you had. So never take what you have for granted as well. And uh, and yeah, that's I mean, that's just what I what I kind of live by daily. And I and I think that if people can start to do that more, there'll be a lot more positivity in the world. And and a lot of people will be a lot more happier with what they have opposed to always 
hoping that they have more because you look you look at what some people have they have nothing and we're here complaining about you know the stupidest things like yo there's no ketchup in the fridge like yo like <laughs> who cares so um you know just change your outlook on life and then and i mean uh, i said it earlier either uh, also sorry you know keep your keep the bridges that you make don't burn bridges um and uh just strive to be better daily so that's 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 my two cents and i thank everybody for you know their support along uh the way and and uh yeah man appreciate y'all anyways that's a wrap on another edition of the lakers locker room you can catch the full in- you can catch the video of this interview on youtube and listen to the full interview on all podcast streaming platforms see you guys soon peace